Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed, in studio. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, also joined via Zoom from afar is our Medicare expert, uh, Peter Stoner, is a Medicare consultant. You can find more about him at stonermedicare.com. We've had Peter on the show several times. He's done uh, speaking engagements for us and maybe as you mentioned earlier in the show, Kirk, we'll get together some sort of a webinar, Zoom, something, something uh, these days, this fall because we can't, or fall or winter, whatever, I guess, because we can't have an in-person this year. So welcome again, Peter. Good morning. Um, And I was just... uh, don't go to McNamaraOnMoney.com yet because uh, as the introduction says, ju- uh, Kirk, Justin reminded me a couple weeks ago that something's going on with the McNamaraOnMoney.com doesn't direct to our website like it's supposed to. So we do need to fix that kink. If anyone has, uh, is looking for that information as referenced in that introduction there, you can go to McNamaraFinancial.com. We do have a radio section of the website and the blog and all that stuff where there's more information, but I do need to fix that uh, kink where McNamaraOnMoney.com is not linking to our website. So mm. add that on add that to my list of things to do in the coming week. Right. Um, 
<laughs> All right. So on to um, so continuing on our discussion regarding Medicare. So uh, before the break, you were talking, Peter, about people um, signing up. Well, the, we we talked earlier in the show about the importance of of people on Medicare carrying a supplemental plan. It's my understanding that you don't have to carry a supplemental or a Medicare Advantage plan, but the majority of Americans do right. just because of what you talked about earlier in the show, and that that. $1,400 uh, deductible for someone on, what is it, part, for someone on Medicare without a supplemental plan, there's a $1,400 deductible for a hospital stake, and that could be every 60 days, right? That's not an annual thing. And is that basically primarily that, the reason that people that, carry sorry. a supplemental in addition to uh, prescription reasons, correct? Yeah, yes, that that and the 20% they're responsible for on the doctor uh, payments for Part B. That's right. Fair enough. Yep. Um, yeah, and I just, I heard some statistic recently that was something like 70 or 80% of Americans carry a supplemental plan, but, but not all of them do, right? Some people are just taking their chances. Not all of them. Um, yeah. in, in fact, I, I would say a lot of the ones that don't, uh, that in my experience, anecdotally, uh, are low-income veterans. So okay. the veterans are accustomed to getting their uh, coverage at the VA, and they can also um, get their prescriptions at the VA. So they are the ones sometimes okay. that avoid A and B. Now, okay. when I when I uh, meet a low-income uh, veteran, I suggest that they. Um, take A and B of Medicare just as a, as sort of like a, uh, um, something that helps them with risk and that they also take a zero premium uh, Medicare Advantage plan. And the reason that I do that is that zero premium obviously is nothing. Um, they're paying the 144.60 for uh, Part B. Most of them do that anyhow. Uh, and, but the reason I, I suggest the zero premium Medicare Advantage plan is that if they have an emergency uh, and an, um, and an ambulance is called, the ambulance doesn't take them to the nearest VA hospital. Mm-hmm. The ambulance takes them to the nearest hospital. And as soon as they're admitted to that hospital, they incur that deductible that you just mentioned, $1,408. So in order to avoid that, a zero premium, again, doesn't cost them anything. Um, Medicare Advantage plan, will it, they'll, will, they will incur a charge. They'll have to pay a hospital copay. Generally, that's in the range of $300. But that's, you know, a lot less than $1,408. They well, can subsequently well, be transferred to the VA hospital. Okay. Why would a zero premium I Medicare Advantage? I see that. Look, I see that. I, I was just like, I don't, I just, I bigger picture. Like, I don't understand why a zero premium Medicare Advantage plan is offered. <laughs> All right. That's just so, get, getting you registered in the system. I don't understand. So um, why I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that. And then when I talk about my wife. Okay. In other words, I'm on me right now. I'm talking about the Medicare okay. supplement. Okay, all right, all right. I'm skipping and, ahead. Go ahead. You've got your own outline. I got it. I got it. We're going to get to um, uh, the Medicare. So let me just finish up the supplement plan. Sure. Okay. So the supplement plan, you know, I, to- I, I talked why I took them. <laughs> yeah. I talked about the fact that it doesn't have any 
copays, any deductibles. I gave ballpark premium. Yeah. So that covers everything that's medically necessary. The, th- the one thing that a Medicare supplement plan does not cover, and this includes all of them that are uh, for individuals, it does not cover prescription coverage. So everyone that takes a Medicare supplement individual plan has to take, in addition to that, a Part D plan to cover their prescriptions. And uh, in Massachusetts, there are 25 drug plans offered. Wide range of premium. The lowest premium this year is $13.20 a month. The highest premium is $128 a month. So that's a huge range, a very big range. And then the question becomes, okay, of that range, what plan out there best fits my prescriptions? And when I say best fits, I mean, which one is the most cost effective for the prescriptions that I'm currently taking? And that's why the first thing that, that we do is we start out by analyzing somebody's prescriptions because we want to get a sense of how much is that piece going to cost. Um, And usually it's somewhere around $20 a month. So, for example, I mentioned the cost of my supplement. My current drug plan costs $15.70 a month. That's added to the cost of my supplement. I take two, uh, I'm sorry, three generics. And um, those three generics don't trigger the deductible. Um, they have very low copays during the course of the year. And that's why that was the best fit for me. In other words, there's a plan that's cheaper than the one I'm on. I mentioned $13.20, but it doesn't treat my prescriptions as favorably. So overall, during the course of the year, it would actually cost me more than the plan that has the premium of $15.70 a month. And that's what our analysis is designed to find out. Because sometimes people will say to me, well, my friend is on whatever drug plan and it really works well for them. Well, you know, it's almost like a, it's it's like a suit that's been custom fit. You know, if somebody gets a thousand dollar custom fit suit, that doesn't mean it's a good suit for you. It means it's a good suit for them. And the same principle holds for the prescription plan. So again, my my cost, uh, I'm gonna compare that against my wife's costs after I talk about her for a little bit. Okay. So my wife took a Medicare Advantage plan. Same year, we're both the same age. We both turned 65 uh, at the same, within six months of one another. He took right from the start a Medicare Advantage plan. Initially, it was an HMO. It had a $40 a month premium. It included prescription coverage. So, you know, that's reasonably decent cost delta between what I I was paying back then and what I continue to pay. And in subsequent years, two years ago, we changed her from that HMO to a PPO, and the PPO had a zero premium. So that's even better. Now, my wife has to pay co-payments for everything. So if she goes to a primary care physician, usually on most plans, that copay is around $25. Specialist copay is usually around $40, you know, in that general ballpark. And the copay for a hospitalization 
is usually somewhere around $300 a day. And they um, have a maximum of that, usually around five days, sometimes as high as seven days. So, you know, I mean, typically nowadays, somebody, it's rare that somebody is hospitalized for more than two or three days. But um, so why did, why did we change here from an HMO to a PPO? It wasn't because of the larger network. This PPO in question offers a $1,000 dental reimbursement. Um, and you can go to any dentist. And if you save the, the bill, the paid bill, you get reimbursed 50% of the bill up to $1,000 a year. So my wife, the reason we put her on, a, on a, an advantage plan in the first place was, number one, she was young. So I consider anyone to be between 65 and 75 to be young. I've considered that not only because I'm within that age bracket, but more specifically because anecdotally, I've spoken to thousands of people over the years. And it has occurred to me that when somebody gets to the age of 65, they're relatively healthy, they usually stay that way for the next 10 years. Now, obviously okay. that's not a guarantee. Obviously that doesn't apply to everyone. I'm talking statistically speaking, the chances are they're gonna be pretty healthy for the next 10 years. In my wife's case, when she was 65, she took no prescriptions. Um, she'd never been to the hospital except for when our children were born. And both of her parents lived to be 95, both of them. Oh. So, you know, statistically speaking, um, it works well to go to a primary care physician. And the key to that is most people want to keep their primary care physician that they've had for typically 30 years when they transition to Medicare. So you need to make sure that your primary care physician accepts a Medicare Advantage plan because not all of them do. Medicare Advantage networks are much smaller than commercial networks. So, I mean, sometimes people will say to me something like, um, you know, my, my doctor through my company, um, uh, it, the company plan is Tufts. I'm just using that by way of example. So I know when I turn 65, he or she will also take my Tufts Medicare Advantage plan. That's unlikely. Usually the ratio is one in 10, somewhere in that ballpark. One in 10 of the commercial doctors, PCPs, will also take the Advantage plan. So people can't make that assumption. They need to ask their doctors, do you take any Medicare Advantage plans? Stressing the word advantage, because it seems like the office staff, what they hear is, do you take any Medicare plans? So when they okay. respond, yes, we take them all, they didn't hear the question. The question is, what Medicare Advantage plans do you have a contract with? And then, and then if they say whatever they are, then those are the plans if somebody is looking at taking an Advantage plan that we look at. But again, with my wife's case, why did we choose an Advantage plan? Well, because her doctor took one. Um, she's, she's relatively healthy, knock on wood, uh, takes no prescriptions. Uh, her parents, you know, live to be quite old. And as a result of that, it was a really good fit. Now she's been on Medicare as have I now for eight years. She's made one change in that time. 
as I mentioned. Specifically, it was because of the dental benefit. My wife is healthy, but she uses a lot of dental. You know, she goes to the dentist every year and there's usually something, you know, it's a root canal or it's something that costs a fair amount of money. So when I heard a thousand dollar reimbursement, so the Advantage plans will give you extra benefits because they're trying to entice you to join them. And now this would be a good time to deal with why are some of the Advantage plans zero premium? And in fact, most of the people going on an Advantage plan early on, and when that by that I mean closer to 65, take a zero premium plan. They typically have premiums at five different price points, or at least four different price points. The first one being zero, the, the, the highest one being somewhere around $200 a month. What's the difference? Well, they all have the same benefits, but the uh, there's a correlation between what you pay for a premium and what you pay for copayments. And it's actually uh, an indirect correlation. Okay. So if, if I have a zero premium, I'm gonna have the highest copays. If I have a $200 premium, I'm gonna have the lowest copays. So as I age, a good strategy is to take a higher premium uh, because you're going to have a more likelihood of accessing services. And as a result of that, you want to be able to manage your copays. So, I'm sorry, Peter, did you just say that as people get older and they're on a Medicare Advantage? To a supplement because the supplements. Well, I, yes, I was saying essentially that uh, as as we age, we're more likely to take on chronic conditions. We're more likely to access services uh, more often. And as a result of that, to manage our copays, it's not the deductibles, it's the copays that okay. we're, we're looking to manage as we get older. And then um, also there's a point at which you're probably better off on a supplement plan because now you're accessing services to the point where, you know, you want more access, you want uh, to be able to go to specialists that you didn't need when you were younger and so forth. So Medicare gives you that opportunity every year during Medicare open enrollment to change your plan either from uh, one Medicare Advantage plan to another one or from a Medicare Advantage plan to a supplement. Uh, sometimes you'll see even people switch from a supplement to an Advantage plan, although that's not been my anecdotal experience. Uh, I find people switching from an Advantage plan to a supplement, not so much uh, a supplement to an Advantage plan. Peter, did you say that the, is it more do more doctors take the supplement plans as compared to yeah. the doctors that take a Medicare Advantage plan? I think you said only one in 10 doctors take the Medicare Advantage plan. Is it more doctors that take the supplemental plan? Is that why people switch? Yeah, so that any doctor in the country, as long as they take Medicare, take a Medicare supplement plan. And, oh, okay. in, and in, Massachusetts, in Massachusetts, um, the figure that I've heard is 96% of the doctors take Medicare. The 4% who don't are usually some form of mental health specialists who are okay. not pleased, pleased with their reimbursement. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, is it already almost 9.30? Okay, we need to take a break in a couple minutes. Um, okay, so uh, let's just summarize real quick, and then we, we kind of make a plan for what we're going to uh, chat about in our last segment, Peter. So we got to take a break here in a minute. Um, you're listening to McNamara on Money. Uh, we're chatting this morning with Peter Stoner, who's a Medicare consultant, uh, independent Medicare consultant, right, Peter? Not affiliated with any one insurance company. That's right. Um, I'm, I'm also. I think a, this is a good a opportunity broker. to just uh, let the listeners know that your structure is such that you're helping people determine what Medicare, either supplemental plan or Advantage plan, is appropriate for them. Getting them, uh, getting them onto the right plan for them, as you're saying, tailoring it to them, and that there's no out-of-pocket cost for your services, and it's just tied into uh, your compensated via the insurance companies um, and, and the drug prices pl- and the drug same plan, versus right. what they buy on their own. But all right, we'll yeah. talk. We'll talk about that real quick after the break. But uh, you're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. Today is a Medicare show. Lots of information to follow right after the quick break. We're just going to take a break, and we'll be right back. McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. Happy happy weekend morning, everyone. I'm joined this morning by my husband and business partner Kirk Reed, and our uh, a Medicare consultant Peter Stoner that we've known for quite some time and can be is quite knowledgeable on the subject of Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage plans, and um, and is joining us via I believe phone now this morning. So good morning, Peter. Are you still with us? I am indeed. Good morning. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. We got about 25 more minutes to get some information out to people. I did just want to make sure we had time to touch on, um, in specific, the way that you help your clients and, and your compensation structure, because I do think it's important that at least in many situations, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not charging an out-of-pocket uh, expense for for the services you provide for clients. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct, and that is because um, uh, I'm, uh, I'm also a broker. So when you say consultant, uh, I consult for a number of um, large companies uh, around the co- country, and I do charge them, but okay. I don't charge individuals. Okay. Sorry, I was using the wrong terminology. You're an insurance. You're a a broker for Medicare supplemental plans and Advantage plans. I just think it's important to note that people can work with you versus researching this stuff on their own and the price that they pay for the insurance uh, their supplemental plan is no different so there's almost in my mind there's no downside to working with you and, and gaining access to your expertise if the price is going to be the same versus doing all the research on their own yes and in fact you know i talk to people uh, a lot who t- tell me things like, you know, I have three degrees. I consider myself <laughs> yeah. to be a smart person, and this stuff is driving me crazy. Yeah. And uh, I find also when they do a fair amount of research, there's a lot of, frankly, conflicting information out there. Um, mm-hmm. They have to realize that each plan is trying to sell them something. The first thing that I try to do is to talk conceptually. Not, not not specific so much, but conceptually, so that they get down what it is that they need to do, when it is that they need to do it. And when they, we get granular and we look at things like the prescriptions and the respective plans, I put things on um, Excel spreadsheets, uh, and then I talk about it because not, not everybody is, is um, comfortable 
with a, a grid, if you will, of benefits. Uh, but I walk them through it, and we discuss it, um, why I make the recommendations that I make. And ultimately, when we're talking about a supplement plan, I show them four different supplement plans, two of which I don't even represent. And I do that because each one of the supplement plans that I show has what I would consider to be some sort of competitive advantage. You know, one, for example, might take a holistic approach. Well, you know, that might be good for some people, but other people might not care at all about a holistic approach, and it might not be of any value to them. So I give them uh, different options to consider. Um, When they're looking at an advantage plan, you know, I I don't look at all advantage plans, and the reason for that is quite simple. The the first thing that we look at under uh, an advantage plan is, so which of the, the plans out there do their Medicare, does their doctor take? So if their doctor doesn't take a particular plan and they want to continue to see that doctor, then that eliminates plans that they don't take. So rather than looking at five plans, you can look at two or three plans because uh, the doctor only takes those two or three plans. If the doctor only takes one plan of a Medicare Advantage, um, then that then that restricts that to that one choice. So it's not really even a choice at that point. It becomes, right. you know, take this particular Medicare Advantage plan. Then you need to decide, okay, if I'm going to take that particular Medicare Advantage plan, which specific plan do I want? Do I want the zero premium plan? Do I want the $40 plan? Um, and again, you know, that usually correlated, inversely correlated to uh, to one's age and their uh, health status. Okay. Um, Pedicare. Uh, <laughs> Peter, I think I just called you Pedicare. I made up a new. <laughs> oh, I like that. Peter. I like that. Um, That's uh, something. You, you t- it's, it's a lot <laughs> little like Cher or too, Madonna. Too close pedicure. to a Pedicare, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, you touched a little bit ago, a little bit earlier on open enrollment. So, and and people that are already on Medicare uh, and their ability to change their plans once a year around this time of year. So, can we touch on those specifics for a little bit? What's the window of time, and Absolutely. what what can I'm assuming it's just the supplement, the supplemental plan that can be changed at that time, right? That's the only thing that would need changing. So, can we touch on that? Actually, all all of the plans can be changed during Medicare open enrollment. Medicare open enrollment uh, starts every year on October 15th. It runs until December 7th. And they, I think, chose December 7th specifically because the baby boomer generation, that's my generation, all associates that with... uh, uh, Pearl Harbor Day, whereas the uh, yeah. more current generations, like my kids, they have no sense what that is at all. But for us, uh, Pearl Harbor Day is something that, you know, that's the date that will live in infamy, and as a result of that, we all remember it. But that's the time that the government gives you to change from one plan to another. Um, uh, if you do nothing and you have certain plans, you continue on those plans automatically. Uh, for an effective date of January 1st, 2021. 
if you make a change during the Medicare open enrollment and then you make another change uh, before December 7th, on or before December 7th, the last change that you make is the one that is that will take effect on uh, January 1st. And, you know, a lot of people are on plans where uh, it, it was to their advantage to, to take that plan in the first place for a reason. So they're going to stay on that plan. Um, but the, the plans that should most definitely be looked at on an annual basis is if you have a supplement plan and you have a standalone, what they call a standalone Part D plan for prescriptions, you know, that plan may have been good in the, say, for example, 2020, but then to 2021, maybe that drug company or that Part D plan company may have changed the formulary. The formulary is their list of covered drugs. So a drug that was, say, tier two one year may be tier three the next. And oh, people, yeah. Unless, yeah. unless they look at that, every fall, then they don't find out about the change until they go to the pharmacy in January to renew it. Now, they renew it, and all of a sudden they find that the copay is quite a bit higher than it was the preceding year. Well, now it's in January. You're locked uh, in for the rest of the year. So Is that, what, um, is that, is that when drug, can drug, uh, can they only change tiers like once a year, effective first of the year? Or can they, they change they, mid-year? They, they can change mid-year, but t- oh, you know, okay. realistically, they don't. Realistically, they make the changes um, for the first of the following year. And okay. as a result of that, that's when people get stuck. And, and frankly, you know, anecdotally again, I will tell you the people who get stuck are the people who need it the most. So you get somebody who's 86, you know, they're taking 12 prescriptions, um, they're, you know, maybe not as sharp as they once were. Uh, maybe some of the medicines don't help them with their uh, acuity. They don't have somebody that's helping them. Now, all of a sudden, they're stuck for the rest of the year. And I, I run into that from time to time. It's always disconcerting to see it. So yeah. if, you have, if you have relatives um, or neighbors or friends and they're in their late 80s, and they have a drug plan, you know, encourage them. People like me will uh, look at their prescriptions. They can also make an appointment at the uh, local um, senior center, center or council of aging. They have there what's known as SHINE counselors. Yeah. SHINE stands for serving the health insurance needs of everyone. It used to stand for serving the health insurance needs of elders but they realized that elders is a discriminatory term, so they changed that to everyone. But, um, you know, you need to make a reservation there. You need to, uh, last year, just for the fun of it, I called my local uh, senior center and and tried to make a reservation. I called in um, August, and I had to wait a month into open enrollment for an appointment uh, and, and yeah, at that point i yeah. i said forget those it are, but those people are volunteering their time right and there's only they, so many they're, they're, there's they're so volunteers many they, they are, I, have, so. I have heard just so that our listeners know our i live in marshfield and I, we have lots of clients in the marshfield and duxbury area and we have heard good things about the shine counselors uh at those two senior centers so that's that's good to know and i'm sure 
a lot of other places around, but those people are all volunteering their time and there's just probably only so many. Peter, I was just, um, I was also thinking like for the people that are on Medicare again and maybe are on a new prescription or have dropped a prescription over the course of the year, um, I'm assuming that those are the people that maybe want to revisit whether or not they're on the right plan as well because it seems to yeah. quite heavily yeah. revolve around prescriptions. Yes, any changes, yeah. uh, absolutely you should uh, have your prescriptions reanalyzed to see now which uh, drug plan okay. is, the, is the most favorable. Because what, what will happen sometimes is so most of these drug plans have a deductible. And the deductible this year was $435. Uh, the deductible next year, the highest allowable deductible is going to be $445. So I mentioned earlier that my three generics um, are a pretty low uh, copayment. But if the doctor were to prescribe me something that would be in tier three, now all of a sudden that would trigger that deductible. So in addition to paying whatever copay uh, would be customary, I would also get hit by the deductible. Uh, and that's actually happened to me before. I've, I've gotten hit by the deductible. In this case, it was a skin cream uh, for my hands. And I figured, you know, I'm just going to wait for this to clear up on its own. I'm not going to pay this $435 deductible because that's just not worth it to me. However, if that was something that was... Um, related to my my health uh, in, in terms of uh, something that I really needed, I would pay that deductible. Um, but then the next year, I would take another look at the drug plans to make sure that I could hopefully find an alternative drug plan that would where it would not trigger the deductible. So it's that kind of strategy that you need to employ during uh, okay. Medicare open enrollment. Okay, Peter, the next, I have a, just a couple random questions. We have like 15 minutes left. I have, but one really important question is I, I try to, every time I have this discussion uh, with you, I sort of try to, in my head, um, get a handle on what retirees should plan on for medical costs in the future. And I know it, I know it's different for everyone, but like when I, when Kirk and I, for example, are doing long-term planning for people, retirement planning, uh, income planning, stuff like that, for people that aren't yet on Medicare, it's really hard for either of us at the table to know what to plan on for health insurance expenses given that they're not right. in Medicare yet, right? So right. just, I, so, just, so I guess I had one question related to that. So I'm hearing you say, for example, you're on a Medicare supplemental plan, you pay a couple hundred bucks a month. Um, it sounds like it's a good plan because there's no, no co-pays, there's no deductible. I thought you said there was like a prescription deductible of a couple hundred dollars a year though. But my question is, is there, what's what are out of pocket maximums, for example, for for a plan like the so, one that you're on? Like, because there could on, be co-pays for prescriptions, but are there out-of-pocket maximums? I'm assuming there are. Um, typically, there are work. You don't get a, a maximum with a supplement plan because you don't get any real uh, co-pays. You do now get that one deductible. So okay. the so the $200, what I typically do is ballpark. So I, yeah. I ballpark $150 for Part B, 
um, okay. you would look you would look at ballparking something higher than that for high wage earners. Yeah. Uh, I ball I ballpark two hundred dollars for uh, a supplement. Now I ballpark uh, higher than that for someone who has been on Medicare for at least three years because they're no longer eligible for a discount. So I would ballpark two hundred and thirty dollars for uh, um, a supplement plan. I would ballpark again. You you don't have to ballpark on the on the drug plan. You can get something specific. But as a okay. placeholder, I would put in twenty five dollars a month. And then you've got to, especially if you've got somebody on a uh, an advantage plan, you've got to put in something of a placeholder for um, medical expenses. I'd, I'd probably put a hundred dollars in on that for a monthly expense for an advantage plan. Some months okay. you wouldn't pay anything, but you know that takes into account at some point uh, hospitalization. Um, hospitalization, you don't have to factor in anything for a supplement plan. And then every year I would figure um, appreciation of at least 5%. Okay. All right. Good. That that, sound, that that about lines up with what I generally do. Like I, I'm generally telling people it's in the range of three to 500 per month per person. You just added up, you just rattled off about $400 a month between Part B, what most people pay for Part B, that supplemental plan and that prescription plan, you just, that was $400 a month right there, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so if we're, if we're using something in the three to $500 per month per person range, we're in the ballpark. And I sort of, I, of course I caveat it with, you know, the, the more frequently you're going to go to the doctor and the more uh, prescriptions you have, the, the higher those costs will be. But we're in the range there right. for planning purposes anyway. You, you are. With, you a, are. with a high and rate of inflation. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and that, and that 5%, I, I, would, I, I would increase that 5% in um, five-year intervals. Uh, okay. You know, because the, the, my experience has been people incur higher expenses as they age. Yeah, you know they're okay. ho they're hospitalized okay. more. They take more prescriptions. Uh, you know, when I see a drug okay. list, I can almost tell you how old a person is just from the drug list because yeah. there is a correlation. Okay, um, I just had a couple more questions. We have like ten or eleven minutes here. Um, one of them is just I I think you can cover this pretty quickly, but um, just just a common misconception that Medicare will pay for long term care services. I understand that'll pay for very little under very limited circumstances. But can you just That's touch right. on that quickly? Sure. So Medicare will cover you in a nursing home uh, when you're there for rehab. So if you're broken a hip, you go to the hospital and then you're discharged for rehab. A lot of times that's done in a nursing home study, in a setting, in a nursing home, and Medicare will cover that. But if you're going into uh, Medicare or into uh, a nursing home and you're not going to be getting any better and you're going to be in there for the rest of your life, Medicare doesn't cover that. That's for uh, long-term care. And if you want to make uh, provisions for that, then you've got to get a separate long-term care policy. Okay, yeah. I, I, it had been a while since I was fresh on those numbers. Um, my other, and Kirk, if you have any questions, let me know. But um, 
My other question was, so we talked about HSAs, health savings accounts earlier in the show. Um, right. For a different, we talked about them for a different reason, but so for the people that um, are on Medicare and still have dollars in their HSA from when they were uh, employed, those dollars can be used for any, any health care related expenses, right? Can they be used for to pay for a Medicare supplement or a Medicare Advantage plan as well? So it can be used for any medical expenses, but it can't be used for premiums. Okay, okay. So any copay, deductible, uh, right. anything except the premium itself? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, I, this is just a random question. Peter, is is the med for anyone who collects Social Security, is your Medicare premium always direct deducted right from your Social Security check? Yes, as long as you're getting payments from Social Security. If you're not getting payments from Social Security, they send you an invoice on a quarterly basis and expect you to prepay it. Okay. Oh, quarterly. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think everyone that I've ever known or worked with has just had their, well, everyone that I can think of has just had their Medicare premium deducted right from their Social Security checks. I wasn't sure how it worked otherwise. Um, Kirk, yeah. did you have any oh, other questions? Could, well, I'm just kind of looking yeah. at my checklist, yeah, and I think well, we covered the the thing. The thing that I always things. think is yeah. interesting, and I can never quite wrap my head around it, is is the whole the donut hole thing. And I I don't know if that's something quick that Peter could <laughs> explain. Oh. Um, so the the donut hole or, or a coverage gap uh, is something that everybody fears. Yeah. Because they know when they hit that, that all of a sudden their uh, drug copays are going to escalate. And um, the reality of it is that only about a third of the people nationally hit it. And the, the way we find out if somebody's going to hit it or not is to do that analysis I mentioned earlier. I mean, so um, a lot of times there's, there's people that are fearful of hitting it. Reality of it is only a third of them are going to hit it. Um, usually if you take an expensive brand name prescription, you're going to hit it. There's ways to avoid the donut hole. One of them is uh, generic substitution. Uh, Medicare really discourages the use of brand names. And the way you can see that discouragement is in the, uh, the cost of the, the copays or the retail cost that they assign to a drug. And that uh, a lot of plans, for example, don't cover um, certain things. And as a result of that, they expect you to pay the full retail cost. Uh, I've talked in past years how one of the ways that I try to avoid people going into the donut hole is if they take a uh, an expensive prescription, I look to see if that uh, prescription is available through a Canadian mail order source. People think that's illegal or discouraged. It isn't. There's legislation now before Congress, or they're talking about legislation where um, Americans in the future won't have to pay any more than what is being paid by uh, other uh, countries. So what that conveys to me is that the in the future, hopefully what we're paying for uh, for drugs on Medicare will be the same cost as what I can currently get it for or others can get it directly from uh, Canada. So the Canadian um, alternative is something that I've looked at now for a number of years because then that doesn't get counted in the amount that is being tabulated to get somebody into the coverage gap. Mm -hmm. So this year, for example, 
they look at the retail cost of a prescription. Once somebody's retail cost of a prescription reaches somewhere around $4,000 this year, then they enter the coverage gap. People sometimes think, you know, that that means the um, the copays. Once my copays uh, equal four thousand dollars, I enter the coverage gap. That's not true. What's true is they add the re- the actual retail cost. So you may have a copay hypothetically of twenty dollars, uh, but the retail cost of the prescription may be two hundred dollars. It's that two hundred dollars that gets counted towards the four thousand, not the twenty. So um, there's that's you know I do whatever needs to be done to uh, avoid people entering uh, the coverage gap. But sometimes you get a prescription that's expensive that's not offered um, from Canada or, or not offered through some of these uh, discount uh, areas like GoodRx, for example, is another way to try to avoid uh, entering uh, the coverage gap or triggering the deductible. So, so Peter, so like, so once, once, you know, once those, those retail costs add up to $4,000, now, now the individual has to pay basically full price for that drug. Um, uh, no, it's not full price at this point. It's 25%. Okay. So in that $200 example, the 25% would be $50. The copay hypothetically was 20. So you had a, a relatively small spike of $30 in that example. The reality of it is that there's drugs out there that are way more expensive than the $200 but you're paying 25% of the actual retail cost once you hit the coverage gap. And and as you said earlier, 20% of a big number is a a big number. Right, right. Um, Peter, we have just a few more minutes. Do you want to just give out your contact information and maybe just um, my my next question for you is just... You know, at what point are you preferring that people contact you? Is it like, like you mentioned your brother, not two weeks before they turn 65, but is it a year, six months, a couple months before they're intending to go on Medicare? What's, what's the optimum timeframe that you're, that clients are reaching out to you? Yeah. So thank you for asking that. My name is uh, Peter Stoner. Uh, The name of the company is Stoner and Company. Our website is uh, stonermedicare.com. Uh, my telephone number at the office is 781-431-7550. Once again, that's 781-431-7550. And the government doesn't want to hear from people more than 90 days away from their effective date. And that t- same time frame really uh, applies to me. Uh, you know, because that's when I can st- really start to dig into things. Um, that's when I can look at prescriptions. Looking at prescriptions right now for 2021, for example, I can't do that until October. And now that's right okay. around the corner, so the timing is really good. But when people want to look at their 2021 alternatives, you know, we're coming right up to Medicare open enrollment. I can start to see the information on the Medicare website from the 1st of October onward. Um, People can't make changes until the October 15th through December 7th for an effective date of the the 1st of the following year. But this is is when it will start to get busy uh, Mm. for people like me. 
but the people that, you know, I get calls all the time. I'm turning 65 in uh, June of uh, 2021. Well, you know, that's a nice conversation to have, and I, and I don't mean to discourage people, but it really is premature. Once it's more than 90 days out, a lot of times this discussion is more hypothetical. So, uh, and that's about it. Thank awesome. you. Peter, thank you so much. Again, that's Peter Stoner of Stoner & Company. You can find him at stonermedicare.com. He's a wealth of information and very helpful for people approaching uh, going on Medicare or in Medicare, on Medicare and wanting to change plans. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thank you for tuning in this morning, everyone. I hope everyone stays well and healthy, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.